Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemeni. Michelle, that's your cue. Where you at, girl? Uh, Michelle, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, where Michelle is? You know, c- coming back from a conference. You know, oh, so you know, she's so busy. She, she's busy. She is in high demand. But <laughs> never you worry, listeners, because we still have three people at this table. Um, yeah. So today is Black Girl Magic Interview episode. Yay! Yay! So, <laughs> our Black Girl Magic spotlight is on Nicola A. Menzi. We are oh, so excited awesome. to have her at the table. So look, y'all, the point of our Black Girl Magic uh, interview is to, uh, we thought it would be great for our listeners to learn from women we admire and hear their stories and hear about their work. So please have a seat at the table as we learn more about Nicola. Now, Nicola is a, a religion reporter and New York City, and the founder and publisher of Faithfully Magazine, a news and lifestyle publication centering on Christian communities of color via a website and quarterly magazine. Nicola has written for the Religion News Service, the Christian Post, CBS News, and Vibe.com. She enjoys foreign films, unhealthy foods, and probably (laughs) spends too much time on Twitter, like all of us. So it's welcome. Thing. It's a thing, right? Welcome <laughs> to the table, Nicola. How you doing, sis? I'm doing pretty good, Akemini. Christine, I'm so glad to be joining you two today. Awesome. We are happy yes. to have you. Yes, we're glad that you're here too, girl. Seriously. Like I and can I just finally say this? Yes, you finally uh-huh. made it to the table. So <laughs> I do want our listeners to know. I, I seriously, they need to know because I know you wouldn't put yourself out there like this. But, uh, but we just we felt like we we wanted Nicola to be at our table first uh, because she really she reached out to us when she heard that Truth's Table was going to be a thing. Uh, she reached out to us, y'all. And she uh, asked, offered really free ad space for us to um, advertise on Faithfully Magazine, which she will tell us about uh, later on in the show. And and she did it free of charge of her own um, volition. And we just were like floored by her generosity. And so we were like, man, this is the least we can do is have Nicola come to the table first. Uh, and, and yeah, we just wanted to thank you for doing that because you didn't have to do that. Super gracious. Absolutely my pleasure because, you know, once I saw, I think it was the image uh you guys had an image you were using to tease or preview the podcast and once i saw that i knew it was going to be hot so i said you know let me connect well there you go see what we can do our, our, that, was, uh, that was our hope and prayer for sure yes, that, was, <laughs> that it would that be was, hope, that it would be good yeah and that, exactly exactly that was our uh natural hair uh like shea, bootleg shea moisture ad you know but you know same shea moisture got canceled you know so oh no <laughs> we haven't forgiven shea moisture yet we haven't forgiven they're in time I'm, out right now what is okay. I'm gonna do though? Cause I use their dye. I mean, I got okay. grays coming. What's happening? I, I won't. Know. I will not judge you if you use it. I will not judge you. 
Put them on the yeah, face. Yeah, I, I did have a couple products before the whole, you know, controversy. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I'm good throwing them out yet. Oh, so. no, no, no. That stuff is expensive. Oh, no. Disclosure. Oh, no, no. Hold on to them now. You got to <laughs> use them until they're gone. You know? exactly. <laughs> use them until you're gone. So, yeah, no, but thank you. We are so happy to have you here at this table. So we want our listeners to get to know uh, you a whole lot better. And so if you could share with us, you know, your faith story and how you came to faith in Christ, we'd love to hear that. Okay, uh, sounds good. Um, I'll try to keep it short and sweet because, you know, there are a whole lot of boring details there. Um, but basically, let's say um, I'm 37, first of all. Holla. Um, and I was born into a, you know, Christian household, mm. probably like a, a lot of uh, black folks. Um, but my family were Jamaican. Yes, um, yes, yes. Okay. And so we emigrated when I was about five or six. Mm. Um, and, you know, growing up in that household, uh, we were Pentecostals. I'm still, I still identify that way, although, you know, I've learned to, like, embrace different traditions in mm -hmm. the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so growing up in that household, you know, I, I guess I automatically adopted uh, faith in God. Mm -hmm. um, I just never doubted that. And, you know, prayer was also a big thing. So, and that remains a big thing in my life um, just because of the foundation they laid. Um, but then, of course, you know, went away to college, got a little wild, uh, forgot about, you know, the commitment I made to God when I was a kid. I think I was about 12 mm -hmm. when I had, you know, I, I don't know if it's a common experience for everyone, but I had an experience and, you know, I said yes to God. Right. Um, but then, you know, down the road in college, I kind of was like, oh, <laughs> this is the time you're supposed to have a little fun and, and do what you want. Right. Um, but then about, I think about three years after college. So I was in my early 20s. You know, God kind of hit me upside the back of the head. It was like, girl, come on, get it together now. Come back, yeah, come back. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, uh, which is great, and I really have to applaud my parents for this. Like, all throughout my life, I had a, like, a deep affinity, a love of reading the word mm. um, and prayer. You know, that was just a normal thing for me. So even though, you know, you could say, I guess, that I knew God or knew of God, but just didn't have that consistent, rich, you know, relationship, mm -hmm. I still kind of had those two things in my life, which uh, he used to kind of, you know, wake me up. Mm. Um, mm. So it's been about 10 years now. Um, that I've been walking with the Lord, you know, mm -hmm. in my own faith yeah. uh, with Jesus. And, you know, that's it, I guess. Look at the Lord. I love that. Awesome. And now, um, oh, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Because, yeah, college, I know all about that while and I'm in, the, in college. Lord Jesus. <laughs> the youth. Good. The youth. The youth. The wayward youth. <laughs> good. Uh, so now tell me, you, you, um, you mentioned college and you went to NYU. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I went to, well, in college, I was accepted both to NYU and to Sarah Lawrence College. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the way Sarah Lawrence is structured academically, I, I chose to go with them. Mm -hmm. But okay. then after a year of being out in the woods and this wasn't the type of place <laughs> that I wanted to. Get out, get out situation out. Exactly, exactly. I And seriously, literally, though, the town that it was wow. in, it was probably, I don't know, like 98% white. Um, oh. And, you know, going into town, you know, go to the store or whatever, the coffee shop, it wasn't uncommon um, to get a couple looks. 
Um, But it wasn't a huge, you know, part of why I felt I needed to transfer. Um, So, yeah, I eventually transferred to NYU after a year, and that's where I finished my studies and got my degree. All right. And now, um, was it was it your major that led you to uh, enter into religion reporting? How did you get into that? Yeah, um, I also changed my major once I transferred into NYU. I was focusing mm-hmm. on creative writing. Like since I was a kid, I've always just been into creative writing and storytelling. Um, and then when it was time to transfer into NYU, um, they really didn't offer that as like a, a major. Um, it was oh. like a minor. You can minor in creative writing, but you got a major in English literature. <laughs> and so I, I looked at that and I was like, yeah, I, I don't think I want to do that. And so I looked at the journalism school and I was like, you know what? This is probably it because I can still do my writing. Um, journalism has, you know, different facets of storytelling. So that's how I got into journalism, actually. Hmm. I love awesome. that. That's good. Very cool. That- that is good. Yeah. So you like to tell, uh, maybe often I would imagine stories that are often not, you know, told or untold, uh, or maybe some people would maybe might not find interesting and yeah, that's great. And so, so what made you, um, branch out and start faithfully magazine? Like how is it different from the other Christian mags or, you know, and, and why, why did you start it? What really made you go, you know what, that's it. I'm starting my own thing. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll give you the simple answer. I got laid off. But it was a bit more than that, actually, because that was in fall 2015. And I'd already, I was at the Christian Post already for about four, four and a half years. And I'd actually started feeling that pull um, that I needed to create something else, something Mm. different. but, you know, the opportunity it didn't all come together until then. Uh, so I think a couple weeks prior before, you know, they gave us gave us the news. I had applied to um, an entrepreneurial program, actually, for journalists. And I had applied to this program before, like the year prior, and I got rejected. Uh, but this mm-hmm. time it was like, I think, you know, they gave us the news. They were laying us off. And then I think it was that day or the next day. I got a letter from the program. It's like, hey, you're accepted, blah, 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 blah. So wow. it was like all of it just kind of came together. And, you know, it was kind of like the things I'd experienced coming into religion reporting. I was working at other places before, like CBS News and Vibe. Uh, so coming into religion reporting um, was kind of different, even though I was already a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. coming in and seeing how the machine works with this, I guess you call it celebrity Christianity. I don't know. Tell yeah. us about the machine. <laughs> Seriously, I'm I'm really a little bit I'm clueless about that. Well, I think we all we all know the names, right? You know, the Rick sure. Warrens, the Joel Osteens, T D Jakes, Andy Stanley, right. like, you know, these are the names that kind of I don't know, get stories moving, get people mm. interested and in clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of that that I was doing. But then I noticed maybe after two years when I kind of just pulled back a little bit to kind of, you know, analyze how things had been going and what I'd been doing. Um, I noticed that the kind of stories being told or the people uh, being called on or, you know, being placed at the center were usually uh, white men. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could probably go to their website now, <laughs> but there were days where you could go to the uh, church and ministry section, uh, click on it and just scroll down the page 
and you'd see white face after white face after white face after, which is not, right. you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But my goodness, Christianity, especially in the U.S., is way bigger than, you know, the standard two dozen or three dozen names, you know, that we're used to as being the face of U.S. Christianity. Right. So it was that compulsion and then also wanting to make sure women also had a place in this, you know, were also as visible as possible. Mm-hmm. So all of that came together into Faithfully Magazine. And, you know, that's the mission, basically centering Christian communities of color because, you know, we got stories to tell and we got issues to deal with. And, you know, so that's what it's about right now. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome, Nicola. I, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and thinking to myself, I bet there have been some um, good lessons that you've learned along the way just through this process. Um, can you think of maybe one lesson from this process of branching out, starting mm-hmm. seeing a need, wanting to tell that story because Christianity is so much bigger than kind of a kind of a homogenous entry point. And I'm just curious if you have a have a story that you like to share with us about something that you've learned along the way in this new journey. Right. Um, well, I don't know if it's a story necessarily, um, but there are maybe three or four things that have been a consistent theme since I branched out into Faithfully Magazine. Yeah. And, you know, there's always the need to just be persistent and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just change up <laughs> what you're doing all of a sudden, you know. Uh, although it's good to experiment and to find out what's going to work for the community you're trying to attract. Um, and then, you know, in terms of persistence, you know, some days can be discouraging. Some mm-hmm. days it feels like it's an uphill battle and it's just me and the Holy Ghost, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. trying to get things done. Um, and then also emphasizing and making it clear to people that just because you know it's a product that I started as a black woman faithfully magazine is not a black publication um okay it's people of color Christians Mm -hmm. of color and Mm -hmm. I think it's important to emphasize that because you know yes I guess a lot of the discussions about race in this country it's probably always going to be framed by the black white um situation But, you know, our Asian-American brothers and sisters, Hispanics, Native Americans, who, you know, are people of faith, Christians, Mm -hmm. they're suffering in the same way sometimes. They're being marginalized also. So that's another thing I try to make sure I, I remember and remind myself of daily. And so that's why if you look at our um, our about page or our staff page, you'll see I have um, an assistant uh, associate editor who just joined, actually. Uh, she's a white woman. Um, right. So that's important to bring in a bit of diversity. And in our advisors, uh, we have an Asian-American gentleman there also. Um, and that's also important. So I'm trying to make sure I keep diversity behind the scenes also Absolutely. to make sure we're embracing everyone, you know what I mean, who feels like <laughs> they've got something to say or to push back that's again good. or some injustices to fight that happen to be tailored around, you know, race or ethnicity. Yeah, and that's awesome, Nicola. I think that demonstrates kind of, you know, what we call inclusive leadership, right? So mm-hmm. um, being intentional that voices are at the table that can best speak for themselves so that that's that is good stuff Uh, i'm curious for you for you how do you define success so you're you've entered into this journey and 
of course, we are impressed with you and delighted to have you yeah. chatting with us today. But I'm, I'm curious from your own vantage well, that's point. That's success right there. I made it. I'm on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I can retire now, actually, after this. <laughs> oh, set, set that bar higher, child. <laughs> Hello? Come on now. Bring it on up higher. Bring it on <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I, I am curious, though. So, you know, at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror, you know, five years from now or 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, and you say, huh, what, what's going to let you know that, that you have, what is success to you? What will let you know that? Hmm. Um, okay. Well, I guess, number one, that as a publication, as a company, um, we've maintained integrity yeah. and earned the trust of whoever this community of readers are that you know rally around us or look to us as a publication to tell the stories that they need to hear and sometimes they don't know they need to hear because sometimes you know the story hasn't been told yet yeah um, so making sure people know us is a reliable reliable publication they can trust um and you know of course the dream is to have a diverse staff a fuller staff um that stands out from the common newsroom, actually, in this country, where it tilts a certain way. Um, so I also want us to be known for our diversity in the newsroom and in terms of the, the things we publish. Um, yeah. And also being able to make an impact uh, in people's lives by, you know, the motto is do good, obey God, stay woke. So at mm. some point, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know if we can found a nonprofit or just find a way yeah. to empower other nonprofits um, to make sure we're, you know, also investing in that way in people's lives. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. when we get to the point we're able to do that on a regular basis and be known for that, I'll feel, you know, satisfied that that could be success. Lifting as we climb. Absolutely. That's excellent. Well, I don't, I don't know if you are aware of this, uh, Sister Nicola, but mm -hmm. it, it appears that um, there are some people who have a negative view of journalism um, yeah. and journalists. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. caught wind. It, sometimes, I, that, sometimes that happens. Sometimes there are loud voices who say negative things about journalists. And, mm. you know, I'm just curious as to how that, from, from your vantage point, if that recent rhetoric, which I think has bubbled up in the last couple of years more so, and kind of ebbs and, ebb and flows throughout history, but um, how that impacts you as, as a journalist, um, if it impacts you at all. Hmm. Give me an example, Sister Christina. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, <laughs> I would be happy to give you an example. Well, I can think of national world political leaders um, mm -hmm. who uh, may say rhetorics, rhetoric such as uh, that things are fake news or that journalists are, um, uh, are biased in a way that um, has an agenda to tear down their politics or their mission. Um, I just, I've kind of heard facts. those things. Yeah, alternative facts. <laughs> I kind of, I've heard that here and there. <laughs> yes, that sounds familiar, actually. Have yeah. you heard that? Have you heard that? Yes. Um, well, I mean, I guess we're an, at an interesting point in history or in time in general where yeah, yeah. just the whole concept of truth seems to be a challenge for yes. us where we're developing our own truths um you know the postmodern mindset that you know each person can have their own truth and 
this thing will mean a dozen different things to a dozen yeah. different people. Even just very basic common sense things that yeah. a few years ago you thought <laughs> you knew what it meant. Um, so it's just the whole thing about truth. And yeah. I can understand on one hand, if people, you know, want to be skeptical, you should be, we should be skeptical. We should question. Um, and, you know, I've learned over the years too, especially uh, as a journalist and also on Twitter, things come down your timeline. You're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And you hit retweet. And then you're like, wait a minute, let me go back and look at this. And you find out that the story isn't what it appeared to be, what the folks are presenting it as. So skepticism is great, but you can't, you know, we can't say this makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like what they're saying. You know, I don't care if it's true or not. I just don't like the way they present this and then toss it in the trash can. We can't yeah. do that. And that, I think that's part of the problem right now. Why all, you know, it started out as satirical news, right? <laughs> and then yeah. it quickly yeah. spiraled into just straight up fake news. Yep. It doesn't even need to have the satirical stamp, you know, just give the people basically what they want. And that's the problem. Mm. That's a business model. You can do that because some mm. of us are so afraid sometimes to confront the truth, to hear the truth. We yeah. don't like this because sometimes it'll call upon us to actually do something. Wow. Right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's that's my take on that. Have a bit of skepticism. That's good. But don't turn away from something just because it may seem difficult or hard or, or whatnot, you know. And the thing with me also, that's why I bring up integrity. Um, mm -hmm. The people I work with, you know, they're people that I call up to interview, you know, you are trusting someone with your comments, <laughs> not to turn it into right. something it's not, sure. you know. So... I understand on that end too when you you know you're a little wary when a journalist calls up and they want to quote you on something or record you that's mm -hmm. fine but that's also I think also the responsibility of those who are calling ourselves journalists you know have a bit of integrity and be consistent in how you treat people mm -hmm. um, you know the, the the rules you make up for your organization also be consistent with that so right. people if they're a little scared to see your name show up in their inbox or they're like, what's going on now? They at least know if they Google you or mm -hmm. reach out to some people they know who've talked to you, they know they're going to hear a good report and know that they can take that chance to trust you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. That is, that is very good. That's good. Um, integrity really is, is key. It's key because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you, we all answer to God. And so, um, and particularly as a Christian reporter, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you gotta, you really need to be taking that seriously. Um, uh, so what would you, and earlier you were talking about, you know, there's some times where you just feel like it's just you and the Holy ghost, which is true. Um, <laughs> um uh, right. Always. Uh, but you know, on our good days, we don't always feel that way. Right. We're like, Oh, I'm good. I got this. <laughs> so like on tell, walk us through kind of like what, maybe even what your day-to-day -day looks like, but really what does like a discouraging day feel like to you? Like what are the challenges for you? What are the adversity? What's the adversity um, that comes into play with you being the, the CEO, the founder of Faithfully Magazine, um, who's really running everything for the most part uh, by yourself? What does that look like? What are those challenges? Uh, I think our listeners will be curious to know what that is. Um... I guess there may be 
okay, there, there's the days where it's basically I get up early and I'm just working, 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 working. I'm transcribing maybe, I'm writing a story, I'm coordinating interviews, um, mm. I'm editing, you know, maintaining relationships. And also, you know, I'm also the technical person for the website. So if oh, something wow. goes wrong, I got to try and fix it, do a little bit of research, maybe see if there is someone I can reach out to. So sometimes I'm literally working, you know, after I, I do my devotional, have some coffee, breathe a little bit. I'm literally working from morning to like sometimes 11 o'clock at night because stuff has to get done. I can't roll wow. over because it's not going to get done if I roll over. Well, that's true. So, well, what time do you get up in the morning? Uh, it varies. Um, right now, because I'm working on issue number two, and that's just solely what I'm focused on. I'm trying to get up around 6.30. Uh -huh. um, if things aren't so pressing, I might get up by 8.30, 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when there's a lot on your table, the earlier you get up, it the seems better. like you should have the more time to do things. <laughs> um, so know. there are days like that. But then there are also little things, you know, and I kind of saw a little bit of this when I was in that entrepreneurial program. Um, I, I doubt it that, you know, independent business, especially in journalism, uh, well, I'll just leave it, independent businesses, that it's as wide as it seems sometimes. Like if you go to mm. Forbes website or Inc's website, um, sometimes it seems like white folks are the only one doing this stuff. Wow. And, you know, there have been a few reports in the past couple of weeks, too, how difficult it is for black women founders to get funded, to yes. even get the time of day, yes. because the white male face, it, I guess that's what they're used to. Somehow that elicits more trust or mm -hmm. puts across greater competency. Um, so things like that. And there are other things also uh, in the mix with that. Um, so sometimes that can be discouraging, um, yeah. but you know, I don't let it get to me because God knows I'm thoroughly convinced at this point that this is what he has me doing. This doing. is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Cause you know, when God gives you something and you're like, are you sure God, <laughs> you, <know? Okay. laughs> you sure it isn't something else or somebody else or, but you know, so God and I, we've had those conversations <laughs> and he's put it in my face repeatedly. And, you know, just sometimes the way he brings things together, it's like, this is it. There's no right. doubt. Um, so, you know, even there are those little challenges or whatnot, you know, that's the thing also that keeps me going, that I know God's hand is in this, and he's the one making everything unfold. Mm. Mm, that's good. That is, yeah, that's very encouraging, because it's like, look to Jesus, uh -huh. <laughs> and he go work it out. That is really uh, how we get over, particularly as black women, because we do face those unique challenges, the double bind of being black and being woman, and then, you know, you, you you're running your own business and it's the funding is tough um, because you're not people don't trust you oh, know uh -huh. um us though they should um, absolutely but yeah they should have every reason to actually trust black women actually <laughs> <laughs> so, like never in the history of our country have you ever said i don't know if we should trust black women like the record shows we have the receipt <laughs> right <laughs> we have receipts every single time <laughs> So this is, okay, so this is our fun, well, I don't know if it's fun, it is fun, our fun segment that we're introducing, and it's called Sound Off, okay? Mm -hmm. So, 
this is your opportunity uh, to just, you know, talk about whatever is on your heart, your mind, get it off your chest and lay it on the table. Are you sure? So, Are you sure I am sure. We, we are sure, okay? True statement, this is what we do every week. <laughs> Some, sometimes I feel like a troublemaker when I want to talk about some things talk, that other talk, people girl. just don't want to talk about. But I feel like that's what God wants. He wants us to stop, you Amen. know, skirting the issues and to just be real and to face some things. So yes. what's on my mind is the most recent event in Christian news, which happens to be the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting uh, this past week. I think June yeah. 13th to 14th. Um, and, you know, all of the U.S., you know, national media uh, was aware of the issues they were having with a resolution submitted by, uh, I think, Brother William Dwight McKissick, a Texas pastor. Yes. Okay. And he right. wanted some action taken uh, by the SBC to just put out a statement, say something about what's happening with the so-called alt-right movement and, you know, the white supremacist ideology that's right. fueling it. And, you know, I mean, I'm just basically observing things, right? Asking questions, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Of course, yeah. I have maybe my own ideas, but that's not for me to necessarily put out there. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I think... The tone right now, there are two things I feel like I'm seeing. A relief among, you know, SBC members that finally they, they were able to pass a resolution, adopt a resolution, and mm -hmm. that's good. Um, mm -hmm. But if you read the resolution, especially compared to the original one um, mm -hmm. Pastor McKissick wrote, there's some things there that, you know, just kind of need some explanation. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. Like what? What, what? what was jumping out to you? Um, well, okay, two things. I felt like in the, in the original one that McKissick presented, he went into detail about what he thought was wrong with the mm -hmm. alt-right movement. You know, that yeah, they're right. xenophobic, they express bigoted, you know, opinions. But when you go mm -hmm. to the one that was finally, you know, the one that was reworked, it doesn't give you any detail about what, what the alt-right is actually doing. Sure. So for some of us who say, we don't even know what the alt-right is, at least the original one gave you a better idea than this mm. revised one. Right, right. And then yeah. the second thing that really stood out, it was like before coming to the resolution itself of declaring you know, what their position was, it gave a list of... And I asked some people what they, it gave, a, it gave a list of things that they've done over the years, over maybe the last mm. 20 years, um, in terms of, you know, condemning racism. But it kind of reads like, um, I don't want to say necessarily a pat on the back, but it's kind of like, but they could also be saying, hey, you know, this isn't the first time, you know, we're saying or condemning racism. We have a record mm -hmm. that we've been, you know, speaking out and trying to make, you know, take actionable steps toward eradicating this within the body. Um, so it comes across like that, sure. But then it can also come across to other people, I've heard, as if they're kind of patting themselves on the back. Um, right. And there was another thing, too, which, you know, just a few weeks ago, uh, I forget which seminary of the SBC, if it was Southeastern or Southwestern Seminary, but there was that 
controversial photo, right? Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Of the mm -hmm. preaching professors and one of the deans, I guess, of the preaching school there, uh, wearing quote unquote rapper, rapper costumes, right? There was even yes, a gun right. featured in there. And so as I was watching the annual meeting, you know, they had the live stream going on that mm -hmm. night where they're announcing that uh, the resolutions committee, they're going to go back and look at this, uh, you know, alt-right resolution. I realized one of the men presenting <laughs> is in that photo. <laughs> so that brings out more questions. And I spoke to a gentleman that works at... Um, one of the, I guess, the sister seminaries, I think there are four. Uh, and Kemeny, you said this was Southwestern, right? Where the photo came? Yeah, I believe it's Southwestern. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to someone at Southeastern, and we were talking about something else, but of course, you know, this had to come up. And he told me that he actually, within 15 minutes of being notified about that photo, that he picked up the phone and called one of those gentlemen and tried yeah. to explain to him what was wrong with the photo. Yeah. So I think of that, and then I think of the, the tweet a lot of us saw where the Twitter account for the school said something to Lecrae over Twitter, such as, you know, will you help us kind of figure this out? And Lecrae mm -hmm. declined, right, and pointed to some other folks who he felt more were more qualified to help in that area. Sure. And, you know, so I'm wondering, okay, were they serious about that? Are they going to do something? as a community, as a campus, to really see what was wrong and, you know, what pieces are missing as to how something like this could happen on campus. You know, you look at the photo, you see the grass. They're outside on campus. <laughs> it's a bright, sunny day. Like, really? You know, look, you a true reporter. You're like, I saw a grass. I know. You saw the details. I, like, I know you where right. you were. Yeah, there was grass. <laughs> so just all these questions. And then someone also mentioned uh, on Twitter, I think, that it wasn't just the gentleman from the photo who was also, I guess they called the parliamentarian of the SBC committee who was talking about the revision of the, the resolution, but that there was another person also who was actually on the resolutions committee who was in that photo. So oh. I just feel like there's this whole disconnect oh, no. and, you know, I have questions and these questions should be asked. <laughs> Help oh. us understand how Amen. all these steps, uh, and it's, you know, it's not just the SBC. There are many oh, no. Christian denominations in the U.S. who no. made this horribly Definitely. wrong decisions, twisted <laughs> theology to justify racial injustice and oppression. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the SBC. Mm -hmm. They just happen to be the most recent uh, talking point. Yeah. And, and they're really large. Exactly. Sure. They, that's another thing, too. They have the title, the largest Protestant Christian denomination in the U.S., the largest Baptist denomination in the world. So when I hear mm. things like that, too, I was like, all right, y'all got some responsibility. Mm. You need to be leading in certain areas. And God bless Russell Moore, because, you know, if I can use the term, he seems a bit woke in that area. You know, he seems like his eyes have been open to some things and he knows he needs to consistently speak on it. I don't know. And, you know, mention someone if you know of someone and it could be just because of his position. We hear from him or see him a lot, but mm -hmm. I don't really hear 
other leaders, non-minority leaders in the SBC speaking out as consistently as he does. Hmm. And so I just feel like there's some questions here that need to be answered. You have this history, you know, with that 1995 one, I think we all kind of point to as being the first step where they officially, you know, condemned racism, uh, apologized for, you know, slavery and all of these things, you know, failing during the civil rights movement, being on the wrong side of the segregation issue. And, you know, they've taken all these steps over the years. But then again, something like this happens. And I don't even know what is true and what isn't true when you read one report at a very reputable source where someone mm. is quoted as saying, well, no, we, we actually did look at this resolution by Brother McKissick. We looked at it and we worked on it for a few hours, but we just couldn't make it work. Really? Then how is it like, I don't know, eight hours mm. later, you can work on it now. You can make it work mm. now. Mm -hmm. So there are just so many questions, and the thing I hate to see, and it just happens too often, it happens in mainstream media, it probably happens more in Christian news, where we let these things just fall to the wayside, and we never mm -hmm. follow up, we never find yeah. out what happened, we never find out what kind of actions are going to be taken, and we just mm -hmm. kind of let it sit there until, you know, something else happens. That's the accountability piece for sure. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So those are the things that are on my mind right now. And it's actually related to the cover story for issue number two. <laughs> All right. So, so there you go. Exclusive. <laughs> there you go. Because there's this Look. elephant sitting in the Christian yeah. church that we just, for whatever reason, we just can't no. talk about it in precise terms. Yeah. We say racism. Yes, that, we say yeah. white supremacy. But what is actually at the root of those things? So mm -hmm. that's what um, we're grappling with and dealing with in issue number two is the main story. Excellent. Ooh, that's Excellent. good. That's good. You know, Nicole, I was just staring Kamala heresy while you were Harris, you know, with the dash Y um, as you were speaking. Kamala Harris. Harris Giving so, that look, flipping the hair. Flipping the hair. <laughs> and that's the like, I'm going straighten my hair when she flips that hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I know. Like, disgust. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Thank you for sounding off, sis. So tell us, um, uh, what are the projects that you have going on? Website, your social media, you know, ways that our listeners can connect with you. This is your time to just let us know, you know, how we can join in. Maybe your crowdfunding, anything you have going on, please let us know how our listeners can connect with you and help su to support your work. Great. Um, anyone listening, if you're just curious about what Faithfully Magazine is, go to the website, faithfullymagazine.com. If you feel compelled or anything inspired by our mission of centering Christian communities of color, um, spend some time on the website. Uh, send some people you know links to the website. Talk about it on your right. social media. Um, sign up for our newsletter. Every weekend we send out a newsletter with some of the good stories we published that week, good stories we've read around the web and whatnot. Um, and occasionally, you know, we also have a store where you can uh, buy the magazine, the physical print magazine, sign up for a year subscription, or buy the digital uh, version of the magazine. But there are also other products there like t-shirts, you know, with our logo or with a design we have. Um, so you can go to the main website, faithfullymagazine.com, and you'll see a link for the store. 
Um, but if you feel at all inspired by the mission, uh, think of a way just to, in any way at all, that you can support us and help get the word out. Um, because, you know, that's a big thing for us, too. We want as many people as possible who feel, I don't know, compelled toward the mission uh, to find yeah. a way to connect with it. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, when you sign up for the newsletter, you'll be one of the first to know when issue number two uh, is out and available. And that's very important. Yes. And give your coins to support the mission, y'all. Please, because in this give world, nothing happens without money. <laughs> that's right. Pa pass Child. the plate, y'all. Pass the plate. <laughs> pass it, man. Pass it. So, <laughs> uh, so you know what? We want to thank you so much for being on this show with us, Nicola. We really appreciate it. We hope you had a good time with us. I did, definitely. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, because I know you all are heavyweights. <laughs> and you don't pull any punches on here. <laughs> but I've had, I've had some fun some real fun thank you awesome. thank awesome. you thank you so much for being with us and we do we want to thank our listeners for sitting at the table with us this week um, please contact Nicola via Twitter at Namenzi N-A-M-E-N-Z-I-E and you can connect uh, with Faithfully Magazine also on Twitter uh, and Instagram. If you like, she also has an Instagram page for her magazine and it is Faithfully Magazine. Okay. Uh, so tweet us your thoughts about our Black Girl Magic interview with Nicola A. Yeah. Menzi. Use the Truth Table hashtag. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram too at uh, Truth Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth's Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, Christina. And we'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. Bye, y'all.